we do need to focus much more on prevention rather than treatment and, and cure, mm. although that has to be sort of combined together. Welcome to Forever Young, the health and well-being podcast from Lanzerhof. My name is Mario Pedazzoli, and in every episode, join me in conversation with a variety of health experts and special guests as we explore what it means to live well. We may not find the secret to eternal youth, but join me on our quest as we explore just what it means to live a balanced, healthy and happy life. Hello again and welcome. In today's podcast, we will take a closer look at our eyes and our eye health, in particular the steps we can take to protect the eye and, as far as possible, prevent damage and limit deterioration. The eye itself is truly an incredible organ and the eye working with the brain to produce 3D vision is nothing short of a miracle that maybe we occasionally take for granted. And as technology evolves, what impact does increasing screen time have on our eyes? The pandemic and working from home has simply increased our reliance on all our devices with Zoom calls and nearsighted work all, it seems, here to stay. Well, to help us explore the topic and help us all optimize our eye health is Dr. Rashna Murthy. Rashna is a consultant ophthalmologist, oculoplastic and periocular reconstructive surgeon and is recognized internationally as a key opinion leader in the fields of aesthetics, periocular cancer and thyroid eye disease and who, I'm delighted to say, has recently joined us with a weekly clinic here at Lanzerhof at the Arts Club. Rashna, welcome to the show. Thank you, Mario. It's a real pleasure to be here and uh, well done on that tongue tie. It's not easy to say <laughs> yes. ophthalmologist and uh, oculoplastic, but you got it spot on. Thanks. So, One take. <laughs> One take. <laughs> Thank goodness for that. Um, so, well, look, you're an internationally re recognised um, in the field of oculoplastic surgery. Um, what, what led you into this field of medicine? Yeah, I think that... Um, our eye area is incredibly important and I have to say that because I'm incredibly biased and that's what I was specialized in but mm. we know this from the 60s um, when there were gaze tracking studies that were performed by a Russian scientist called Yarbus and so basically what he did is he had some people and he tracked their gaze and how they communicated with others and what we see is that our eyes when we look at somebody we we look at the face, but we scan between eye to eye. We look at the nose, the mouth, and then we look at the rest of the face very briefly. If there's a scar or something else that's noticeable, then we will look at that fleetingly and then land back on the eyes. And so that area is critically important for everything. It's important for communication. It's important for being able to express uh, emotions. It's important to to see. Mm. So whatever we do with our eyes is hugely important because we may lose that ability to communicate. We may change our expressed emotion. So even though we are feeling happy, um, we can look sad to others. Mm. And that is something that is uh, not um, a problem with any other part of the body. Well, sometimes the mouth can look a bit sad, but generally the eye is the area that we all focus on when we communicate. And so I became fascinated with eyes very early on when I was in school. Um, I was very interested in art, also interested in science. There's this dilemma, and, you know, what, what am I going to do? Science, art, science, art. Mm. 
um, science prevailed, but I uh, did a lot of drawing and studying of the eye area uh, to the point that actually I prepared the school final year um, magazine cover, which was an eye. Mm-hmm. And that led to really why I went into ophthalmics. Uh, I was very interested in the medical side of it, um, but also using my hands as a skill, um, as, as a tool to be able to do the surgery. And with, with eye care, we have medical uh, interventions, we have surgical interventions, we have prevention. Um, and it's a very much a holistic approach when we are looking after eyes. And that's, that's something that fits in really well with the ethos here at the Lanzerhof. Yes. And it really, it was serendipity that we, we came across the Lanzerhof that's and right. the concept and well, well-being. That's, um, I think for well-being, the eye, eyes are critical. Yes. And, um, and certainly that is the case. You're very aligned with, with what we do here at Lanzerhof at, at the Arts Club. You mentioned um, eye contact mm-hmm. and, and the importance of um, interpretation. And, and I suppose the eyes generally tell a story. And, and during the pandemic, with masks um, having to be worn, that's maybe only been heightened, hasn't it? The, the Absolutely. I mean, eye contact... Um, has always been there, but that is the area that we have all been focused on for several reasons, and I mean we're, we're also more focused on it in terms of the the changes that have happened and impacted on our eyes in the last couple of years, and, and certainly in, in the pandemic time, we've all been very much. Um, using uh, working at home, using devices, and and increasing strain around the eyes for the first time women and men have been looking back at their faces uh, when they probably hadn't before mm. for um, out of vanity hadn't looked at their faces before but we've had to stare at our faces and we've had to stare at our eyes and we've had to use the, the computers mm. screens um, and all this technology all the time and so that's impacted on the eye area significantly in terms of aging and in terms of some of the changes that people are aware of in terms of dry eye disease and lots of other other issues with the eyes and that's that's where the holistic approach comes into eye care Mm. Um, and with the Lanzerhof the concept of wellness starts with prevention Mm. and it's a bit of a cliche that the eyes are the windows to the soul and Mm. and they do tell a story but it's also um, we have the ability to look at the inside workings of the body by looking at someone's eyes by examining someone's eyes we can see the blood vessels Mm. inside the body Mm. We can see if there are any changes in the blood vessels that might be happening due to certain diseases. We can pick up um, health issues very, very early on by screening. And I think we do need to focus much more on prevention rather than treatment and and cure, Mm. although that has to be sort of combined together. And joining the the Lanzhoff group here, we work as a multidisciplinary team. Mm. Um, the focus is all about wellness and prevention and by not just focusing on the eye area so mm. most surgeons um, will um, have a hammer <laughs> that's that's a, a metaphor <laughs> <So> <laughs> <laughs> most I don't have a hammer um, but 
the area that they operate on is like a nail for them. So mm. if you if you have just a hammer, you will cre- treat everything as a nail and you'll, you'll hammer it in. But if the wall that you're hammering this painting into is, is cracked, then the painting's not going to stay up. And that basically what I mean by that is that you have to approach a person, you have to approach um, someone's eyes by looking at the whole body. Yes. And similarly, the eyes can tell the story about what's going on in the whole body. Yes. And working in the team here, we can help with picking up heart disease, diabetes, cancers, lots mm. of things that we wouldn't know about until much later on, unless you had body scans or, or other things, which we do have the ability to do as well here. Yes. So when we can pick up early signs of, of disease, then that can also um, then be actioned and we can organize imaging and, and treatment um, and that is medical treatment as well as psychological support. Uh, a lot of the things that we will perhaps talk about in a moment is is um, the aesthetic impact of the yes. eye area and how functional changes cross over with aesthetics mm. because of the expressed emotion changes that can happen when the aesthetic changes. Well, let's um, let's let's certainly have a look at that. And uh, but absolutely the case that we we take a whole body approach to someone's well-being here, and 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 that's why this has dovetailed so very well. But but how does the eye area, in fact, impact people's self-esteem and their their sense of well-being? What are the sort of typical cases that you see? Yes. Yeah, so a lot of the functional work that um, I specialize in in particular is relating to eye disease that is due to other systemic conditions. Mm. So skin cancer, for instance, or an autoimmune disease called Graves' disease, which is an overactive thyroid, that can cause patients to have bulgy eyes. Mm. It's not an uncommon condition. So about 30% of the population will have Graves' disease. About 5% of the Graves' disease patients can um, develop thyroid-related eye disease, and people are still going blind with this condition. But interestingly, and I, I led the service in the UK regionally in the, in the Cambridge area for the last sort of 13 years, um, and have presented internationally on, on this, the main thing that impacts my patients and the vast majority of people who suffer from this are those that are at the peak of their career, mm. who are theoretically very fit and healthy, but uh, perhaps under sort of a lot of stress with their work. Um, the main thing that they are bothered about is the impact on the aesthetics of the eye area. So mm. not the fact that they may well be getting a little bit of red eye or double vision or maybe losing their vision, but the fact that their eyes are bulgy, they can't then go out of the house. They don't feel comfortable to have photographs taken. It impacts on their relationships, imp- impacts on mm. their work, their career. Um, it has a huge impact on the quality of life. And so very much functional change in the eye area can affect the aesthetic and that can affect quality of life. Mm. And so when we approach um, a patient uh, with with skin cancer, so, uh, skin cancers for instance, yes, it's a functional condition mm. and we want to get rid of the cancer. But I'm operating on someone's face and I'm operating on the most critical part of someone's face. 
And if I leave my signature as a scar on their face, one, they're not going to thank me, but that is the thing that everybody else is going to focus on when yes. they look at that person's face. Yeah. They're not also going to want to um, have photographs taken. So mm. it has to be uh, invisible surgery. And that, that is that is the kind of surgery I specialize in. So mm. skin cancer reconstruction. Um, and it has to be aesthetic. So a functional treatment has to also be aesthetic. Yes. Um, because it will change the expression. It will impact on how other people perceive that person. And, and that's the balance you have to strike You do, time. yeah, you do. Yeah. Um, and, and so let's, let's talk about that, because in that example, you know, health versus aesthetics, mm. um, it sounds like aesthetics usually prompts a, an inquiry more so than the health-related issue um, if people are struggling with their self-esteem, with their looks and so on. Yeah. But, but you have to strike that balance, and, and sometimes... They overlap, as in the case you've just described, but sometimes they conflict. Um, how, how do you manage this with the patient? And, and are there any examples that you can give us? Yeah, so I, I think that um, the conflict between aesthetics and, and function um, is something that is much more here in the UK than perhaps elsewhere, for instance, in the US or in countries like Brazil. Um, and some parts of Europe, so France perhaps, um, it's much more acceptable to have, um, to see somebody for an aesthetic treatment. Mm -hmm. There is no taboo, whether you're a, a, a male or a female, there is less of a taboo or, mm -hmm. or no taboo in some countries. Um, here in the UK, it's very much thought of that an, an aesthetic treatment is something that is only for people who are uh, actors, actresses, or, you know, um, it's not something that's as acceptable. Mm. Um, and people aren't as open with uh, having any aesthetic work done. Do you think that's changing? Absolutely. I think it's changing. I think that the um, social media um, and a lot of the literature that's coming out is is um, making it much more acceptable for people to talk about what they've had done. I mean, there's been recent articles in in um, newspapers, for instance, where Mark Jacobs has talked about the plastic surgery he's had. Mm. Um, High-profile doctors have talked about the the work that they've had, and it's becoming much more acceptable. Um, to talk about it first of all, but also people are recognizing the impact on quality of life mm. uh, with the aesthetic changes. And so it's it's less of a aesthetic treatment that people are having done and it's becoming more of the realms of medical treatment. Uh, I'm gonna bring in something here, which is called neuromodulation. So neuromodulation is um, things like toxins, Botox, for instance, mm -hmm. that is something that is still a big taboo um, mm. uh, in terms of having treatments done. But actually, neuromodulation first came out of ophthalmology. So it was deve developed um, in patients who were having um, treatments for an interning eye or a squint mm -hmm. or an outturning eye. And this medication was developed, Botox was developed to treat and weaken the muscle so that it corrected a functional condition. Mm. It was also used for something called blepharospasm, where the eyes go into spasm, and a lot of a lot of people do suffer from that. Mm. Um, and it's a big um, medical 
uh, market for treating spasms around the eyes. These patients found that their wrinkles got better, and then, of course, that spawned the whole cosmetic industry in terms of having uh, neuromodulation for lines and wrinkles. But it started off as a functional condition that was being treated mm. for a functional treatment. And Botox has and toxin has been uh, used for many other medical conditions, and it's used for migraines, it's used for... Uh, hyperhidrosis, which is excessive sweating. There are lots of new indications for treating scars. So it's not just an aesthetic thing. And I think that's that's where the boundaries are, are, are now blurring mm. and it's becoming more acceptable to, to have aesthetic, inverted commas, treatments. And all the more reason for the industry to maybe be more regulated than it is currently, would you say? It's a difficult, uh, difficult situation. Um, in Europe, uh, we are probably the only country um, where you can not have a medical degree and you can order a, uh, something like a filler product over the internet and inject it into somebody. And so it is not regulated at all. Sounds frightening. It's the Wild <laughs> West out there. It is the Wild West out here. Mm -hmm. It definitely is the Wild West out here. In, in other countries, you have to be a doctor. Mm -hmm. In some countries, you have to be a, a surgeon or a particular type of surgeon or a particular type of dermatologist to, mm -hmm. to do these treatments. But uh, fillers are medical devices, so they come under a different category from neuromodulation, which is a, a drug. So mm -hmm. you have to be a doctor in this country to prescribe neuromodulation and you can prescribe for somebody else who can give the neuromodulation who can be a nurse um, or a dentist but anybody can pick up a filler and inject fortunately the risks with these are are, are rare and low and um, it's it's something that is manageable and globally there are over eight million fillers being injected every year so it's a it's a huge market and it, and it is, it's going to increase because mm. we can do so much and it's not just an aesthetic treatment. So just like with neuromodulation, um, I use fillers to treat patients with facial palsy who can't have surgery. Mm. Some of my thyroid patients with active thyroid eye disease who can't close their eyes properly because their eyes are so bulgy, we um, I have to manage them medically to reduce the inflammation with drugs such as immunosuppressive drugs and steroids um, but at the same time I can't operate on them um, to close their eyes to help them close their eyes because it can aggravate the disease mm. but using something like a filler um, can help them to close their eyes and be much more comfortable and so the boundaries there in terms of the aesthetic products also cross over with something that could be used for a medical treatment. Mm. Um, so yes, it's it's, a, it's a, there's a conflict mm. um, definitely for people coming in um, to have an aesthetic treatment, but it's becoming much more acceptable and certainly becoming much more acceptable to men when mm. it, it never was beforehand. Mm. They have um, uh, changes much earlier in the eye area. Um, so you unfortunately will will have a lowering of your brows much more early than I will because females naturally have eyebrows that start off above their brow socket um, bone um, or eye socket bone and so that's called the orbit <laughs> but you would have started off with your eyebrows much flatter and below the the um, bone and so we all age similarly uh, in that we lose collagen and with gravity everything drops 
but your brows will unfortunately start to lower and the skin of the lids will encroach upon the lashes and that will impact on the field of vision. Um, and that happens earlier in men than it does in women. And particularly over the last year, staring at faces, uh, working from home, um, staring at their faces on the Zoom calls, um, more men have noticed that and it's becoming much more acceptable to have something done at an earlier stage um, because everybody wants to feel better. Sure, everybody, sure. You know, not just look better, but feel better. And you know, this is something that uh, is acceptable. It, well, um, that kind of brings me to, to the next question, which is, you know, of course, via Zoom and, and other media, we've been talking digitally for a year and a half now mm -hmm. to each other and, and therefore hence the added focus on, on, on our eyes and, mm -hmm. and how we look generally. But let's look at technology. Uh, and by that I mean smartphones, tablets, laptops, etc. And um, it seems we're in front of screens, you know, all day, every day these days. And uh, and for, for the younger generation and our children, you know, they're, they're starting and will start even earlier in life. Um, we celebrate how technology has transformed our lives for the better, but, but has this been at the expense of our eye health? I would say yes. Now, the scientific evidence suggests that there is no permanent damage from staring at the video, uh, staring at our screens and staring at our, our telephones. Mm. But we all know when, you know, from personal experience that when you stare at a computer for long enough or you stare at your phone for long enough, your eyes start to feel uncomfortable. There's a lot more eye strain. And I don't think that the science has picked up the damage just yet. What we do know is that the eyes become much drier. The blue light exposure um, increases the bacterial load around the eyes. Um, we don't blink as much as we should do. Mm. And, and so that also dries um, our eyes out even more. But in terms of radiation, I don't think the cumulative exposure is going to be able to compete against staring at the sun, for instance. Right. So you have to balance the, the risks and benefits. Yes, yes, children are using screens much more and that younger generation is going to be much more exposed to actually you just mentioned we, we don't blink as much as we used to what's happening there not about uh, blinking as much as we used to but when we are focusing on a screen we want to see and oh, so, so that's, when we, that's when we blink less and as we get older we also blink less because we're trying to, straining to see and so if you're trying to look mm. at a, a screen share for instance you're looking at the small print on the on the shared screen or you're looking at whatever's being presented you're trying to focus and to see what you're looking at and mm. so you will not blink as much and the blink is basically, it's like the wipers on a windshield of a car. So you have the tear gland that produces tears and then the, um, just like a windscreen, when you're cleaning a windscreen, mm. the wipers will wipe the, that washer all over the, the screen and clear the screen. But mm. if you're not blinking, so your wipers are not working as frequently, then you're going to dry the surface of your clear windows of your eyes mm -hmm. and you're going to get blurred vision, you're going to get eye strain, you're going to get dryness mm -hmm. and all of that does impact on our eye health so yes I, I do think that we will find that there is some permanent damage, it's just that the 
the science hasn't been able to pick that up mm. and we're getting more cumulative exposure to to blue light and mobile phones than we ever used to ah well actually yes could you maybe help us understand and define blue light and and, and how can we limit it or limit I don't think we can eliminate it from our lives. But. No, I mean, blue light forms past, part of the um, magnetic uh, spectrum uh, with, with uh, electromagnetic spectrum. So visible light forms one part of that. Um, and at one end of the spectrum, you have the blues and the other end, you have the reds. So you have infrared and you have ultraviolet. Mm -hmm. And sunlight um, is just one part of visible light, but we get the whole electromagnetic spectrum that we're exposed to when we're just walking outdoors. Similarly, from the screen, we have much more blue coming through. And technology is changing to try and reduce the blue light exposure. So a lot of the mobile phones that we have these days will have a, um, a, a night mode or a, they'll have yes. a ability to reduce the brightness um, and alter the amount of blue coming out. There are blue light reduction glasses, which again anecdotally people find that they do have less eye strain they sleep mm. better when they use it do you recommend those prescribe those i don't prescribe those mm. i don't necessarily recommend those but i, I know that um, there are lots of people who use them and mm. have found benefit from it um, but the scientists um, have not said that it is of any benefit and it's not been shown to have any benefit. Right. But people do sleep better and they have less eye strain. So mm. I think it's, it's, it's a good thing. Mm. And, and what else can we do to improve our, well, our eye health generally? Um, nutrition certainly plays a part. What, what advice do you have? Yeah, so um, this, this sort of comes into a huge um, sort of buzz word I suppose or buzz topic which is the microbiome. The microbiome mm. is basically the organisms that we all carry so we have um, uh, like a, 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 a world that um, is our skin, our gut um, and their little countries within our body mm. which are populated by lots of colonies of microorganisms that could be bacteria and viruses now this sounds awful because it's you know are you am i saying we're carrying lots of bugs but yeah we are carrying lots of good bugs mm -hmm. and those good bugs are protecting us they're protecting our barriers so our gut is one major barrier for for nasty bugs coming through mm -hmm. our skin is another major barrier for bugs coming through our eye surface is a barrier our mouth our nose they're all inlets, uh, entry points for nasty things, but we have healthy colonies of bacteria and viruses that sit on all those barriers. And one of the things that we can do to improve our eye health in particular is to look after the microbiome around our eye, eyelids, our, uh, our skin. And to that end, um, I have worked with a, a company called Clinical Health Technologies that uh, have is an award-winning company. They, they manufacture something called hypochlorous acid. And I'll tell you about that. Yes. Um, because hypochlorous acid is something that has been known about for over 100 years, um, even before iodine and chlorhexidine came into use in terms of antiseptic treatments. Mm. It's actually what our white blood cells, which are the blood cells in our bloodstream, um, produce to destroy invading organisms. 
So when that barrier function is broken down and, and bugs get into our body, our white blood cells are recruited to produce this hypochlorous acid, which they release and destroys the bacteria. And we've harnessed that science, um, the company that makes hypochlorous acid, to a very pure level. There's no alcohol in it. It is able to effectively cleanse and be antimicrobial so it can destroy bacteria and viruses and protect the microbiome so it resets the microbiome. I've worked with this company for the last three years to produce something that is safe for eye use so it's the same pH as the eye surface mm -hmm. and we produce something called purifies mm -hmm. and that is something that we use after all our surgery for, for our patients um, to use around the periocular area after all of the treatments that we do, so the toxins and injectable treatments, and it reduces the risk of infection. Mm -hmm. It protects the microbiome, but it's also a huge benefit to prevention of dry eye disease, so particularly with VDU, VDU use. and so not just post-surgery. Not just post-surgery. It's, it's of benefit for anybody who uses a gym, mm -hmm. anybody who's flying in an airplane, anybody who has to wear a mask for extended time because we're blowing bacteria all over our eyes when mm. we're wearing masks with the air leaks and that you know i'm sure you've noticed i've certainly noticed uh from wearing masks a lot of the time for the last year that my eyes have felt much more uncomfortable mm. um, because i'm blowing bacteria all over my eyes Actually, i feel sorry for people that wear glasses too that's even worse <laughs> that's because even you worse. you messed up and um mm. uh yeah but i had that issue initially with with wearing um loops when i operate and uh, that creates an even greater sort of bacterial colony mm. but this is something that can help to reset that microbiome and prevent future dry disease and, and that actually is a huge burden um, about sorry that was a that was a very noisy motorbike that went past <laughs> I think they were interested in that in that topic but um, yeah it's about 80% of us will have some level of dry disease mm. during our life and it's worse as we get older um, and it is caused by all the things that we do, uh, you'll have exposure to pollutants, you'll have exposure to the BDUs, we'll have um, certain types of makeup that uh, women wear that have a lot of toxins in it that we're not aware of. Mm. Um, formaldehyde was still being used in, in eye, uh, mascara and eye makeup and hair shampoo and, and there are a lot of products that still sort of high level products that still contain toxins like formaldehyde yes and we're using that on our eye surface and so that creates this later uh, later dry eye disease mm. and it destroys the microbiome around the eyelids so your purifiers range helps address this and so purifiers the product itself um for the eyes is helps to address that uh, and it's it's possibly the missing step in in skin care and eye care mm. because it protects the microbiome we're doing a lot in terms of probiotics and supplements as you said uh, to improve our health and this is uh, a way of um, rather than having a, an, a bacteria that you put on your eyelids and eyes although that might be maybe be a future way um, we're resetting that microbiome and improving the barrier function and protection mm to reduce the risk of later on dry eye disease. Um, I should say for more information on uh, you know, if you're enjoying this topic and, and are interested in uh, 
either uh, an appointment with Rashna or, or the products themselves, um, please email lanzerhoff at theartsclub.co.uk. Um, coming back to the talk, uh, are people becoming more aware of the need for eye health? I think you, you've said yes, they are. But what are the risk factors for diseases of the eye? And And in talking about that, how much does hereditary versus lifestyle choices play a part? Yeah, so um, there are a lot of lifestyle choices that we make that um, I think as a, as a nation, as, as a group, uh, we are becoming more aware of what we do and how that can impact on our health. Our eyes um, give us the ability for for doctors like myself to have a look and screen for health conditions so blood pressure problems so hypertension mm. diabetes can cause changes to the blood vessels um, and so we can pick up these changes early on hereditary conditions um, that affect the eyelids like a droopy eyelid can be picked up on very early on and it's really important for something like that to be picked up early because until a child is eight you can um, improve the vision and reduce the risk of a lazy eye mm. um, a permanent lazy eye by improving the position of the eyelid uh, a slightly droopy eyelid may be affecting the eye prescription the ability to see and so addressing that early on can improve future eyesight so yes we we're able to look up pick up um, lots of diseases mm. um, and things that will impact on future health at an early stage by screening and looking at the back of the eye mm. so um we clearly have a personal responsibility for our own health never mind just eye health but but for the parents amongst us um we also have a responsibility towards our children's eye health as well. And and again, we are increasingly worried about technology and, and you know everything we spoke about earlier about screen time. Well, it applies as much, if not more, to our children. Mm-hmm. Um, if we left them to their own devices, they'd be on their <laughs> they'd device. They'd be on their devices. Yeah, uh, all day. <laughs> and, and so what, um, how can we be more mindful of that? And what advice can you give for responsible parenting here? Good question. So as a trying to be responsible parent myself, um, you have to balance the risks and the benefits. I think there are great things um, to be said about technology. And uh, this generation of children are are much more comfortable using technology. Um, Some gaming devices improve hand-eye coordination. They always used to say that um, as an eye surgeon, if you'd spent your youth playing computer games with a joystick um, uh, that improved your hand-eye coordination. Fortunately for me, I actually spent a lot of time Mm -hmm. playing computer games with a joystick, so my hand-eye coordination is not too bad. So there are advantages to technology, but that has to be balanced with the the detrimental effects. And so how can we be responsible? Um, Talking about technology itself, we can limit the time we can limit the exposure to the blue light. Um, we can also ensure that um, children have good lighting in the background when they're looking at the screens, so they're not straining. Mm. Um, and that there is a 
healthy balance as well so that they're encouraged to be outdoors and enjoy enjoy outdoor pursuits as well and things that are generally good for well-being communicating with their friends on a personal basis not just through a computer Um, because I think you know there is there is a risk that they will get used to communicating just by typing or on a phone or on a on a computer game Mm. Um, and that depersonalizes the whole friendship um, element to it and mm. and communication element but talking about being outside I, it's far more risky to send your child outside without sunglasses and a hat sure. <laughs> so you, can't know, you can't win <laughs> so yeah it's to limit the the, yes. the technology but also you know protect from from other things that you have to consider as well so mm. pollutants mm. and and sunlight so um, talking about sunlight you know sunglasses um, you want to have something that's broad spectrum, so UVA and UVB, um, that covers the spectrum of the electromagnetic spectrum we talked about beforehand. Yeah. Um, it doesn't have to be incredibly expensive, but it has to just cover that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you are protecting your child's eyes. Um, in terms of skin cancer, which is another interest, as I've already said, um, the eyelid area is the most prone to damage. It's the thinnest skin in the body, so less than half a millimetre in some areas. And that's why it ages first. Um, So you see the ageing changes first. It's a very mobile area Mm. with all the muscles underneath that that help us express. But it's also an area that um, is usually not... Uh, addressed in terms of protection mm. there's there's um it's, this is a podcast so i can't show you the pictures but there there's been a an amazing photograph that was published in the new england journal of medicine where they showed this truck driver who has spent years driving his truck in the u.s um being exposed to sunlight on one side mm. and not on the other and one side is covered in lines and wrinkles and with an aged sort of eye area and and all, all the other things that can happen in terms of um, eye and sunlight, so growths on the eye surface, cataracts, damage to the back of the eye, um, with macular degeneration, with the macula being the area of the eye in the retina that mm. focuses when we look at something and read something. Mm. The other side was was uh, much more youthful, with very few lines and wrinkles, and a much more healthy side. So it, the sunlight is probably probably far worse an enemy um, in terms of sun aging and cancer uh, and skin aging and cancer than than um, than VDUs. I'm trying to imagine what he must look like. <laughs> <laughs> I'll show you the picture. Yes, fascinating, frightening. <laughs> but you can look it up if you if you mm. Google it. Yeah, it's the New England Journal of Medicine and uh, truck driver with uh, with sun aging. So. Mm-hmm. And. Um, Let's talk about the positive aspects of technology and, and with medical advances today, mm. what does the future look like for eye health um, for both prevention and cure? So in ophthalmology, we use a lot of technology. Um, it, it, we are able to objectively, uh, in the Lanzerhof, we're able to objectively um, record our, our eye health Um, We're able to take photographs um, in 3D imaging Mm. of um, the uh, facial structures uh, and the eyelid area. We're able to image 
the back of the yes, eye. Yes, I've been a victim of that. No, yeah, it was, it was, it was <laughs> I think, quite a good experience for you, I yeah. think. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's not always a good experience to see your photograph, let alone see your photograph in three mm. dimension. But it, it's, it's, it's a good thing to do because you mm. see what other people see. Mm. Um, which is a positive thing. It should be taken as of a positive course, thing not, rather course. than a negative thing. Um, but technology allows us to um, look at the thickness of the back of the eye, the thickness of the front of the eye, um, to see whether there is there are changes due to damage from something called glaucoma, which is something we also check for and screen for here. Mm -hmm. Glaucoma is a condition that is fairly indolent. Um, uh, some open angle glaucoma can blind, and that is raised pressure in the eye that damages the nerve at the back of the eye so we can check for pressure we can check to see whether the thickness of the front of the eye is Im impacting on the pressure um, and we can treat with drops um, so there are, there are lots of other treatments as well um, but technology is hugely important in the ability for us to be able to deliver the optimal service in terms of prevention as well as uh, objectively recording and in terms of our treatments and how that improves mm. um, the things that we're assessing. Mm. And uh, we mentioned this, you know, you now have your weekly clinic here at Lanza Hall mm -hmm. the Arts Club. Um, what plans do you have and, 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 the, and maybe describe the range of services that, that you will be offering here? Yeah, so our services, um, and I work um, jointly with uh, my business partner, Jonathan Roos, who is also an oculoplastic um, surgeon mm. and ophthalmologist. Um, we uh, uniquely work together, I think, um, in providing a diverse team. So we have the male-female perspective. Mm. We're providing two consultant experts um, uh, who will give the second opinion, built-in second opinion, but also we're able to listen mm. and uh, spend more time listening. And that is a problem with many medical professionals that they don't actually listen to their patient. Mm. We're able to offer um, a listening ear as well as uh, inquiring mind, as well as being able to offer the assessments. But uh, you asked what sort of services we provide. So we provide the whole the whole hog when it comes to um, eye care. So it's not purely eyes. Mm. We we examine the eyes fully, and so we're able to screen for all the conditions that we talked about. Um, and so we provide a service called Verifies, which is basically um, a lot of our programs have, have the, the tag name eyes at the end of it. So you'll, you'll know it includes eye mm. care in everything that we do. Mm. Um, and that, that is the pivot of everything that we do, essentially, that all our treatments can impact the eyes, so we address the eyes as well. And we um, do 3D imaging of the face and are able to um, help with improving the structure of the face non-surgically mm -hmm. with uh, injectables mm -hmm. um, and the periocular area. And we're also able to provide surgical intervention if needed. So as oculoplastic surgeons specialising in that eye area, the most critical area, as we've talked about, um, we're able to restore ageing changes or treat functional problems mm -hmm. um, and work as a team with the rest of the Lanzerhof 
um, specialists who are incredibly good at what they do. So we have the psychological support from our general practitioner here, Dr. Irvine. We have imaging um, capabilities and we're going to be offering um, in terms of COVID, a lot of people are suffering from long COVID, which mm. is the aftermaths of infection a long time ago, a lot of headache issues. With any headache, we have to exclude raised pressure in the in the brain. Mm. And we can look at the back of the eye and and exclude that. Mm. So that is part of the, the team approach that, you know, if somebody is having headaches, that's seeing Dr. Irvin, uh, Irvin for instance, and uh, Levine, sorry, uh, coming, <laughs> then she won't like me saying that, <laughs> but I'm glad I corrected myself. <laughs> sorry, Dr. Levine. Um, sorry, Ursula. So anyway, um, if she comes across somebody who's seeing her with a headache, then we are able to provide support for that and um, investigate and address that. And that support is extended to anybody who has non-COVID symptoms and it's just general general wellness that, mm-hmm. that's what we're all about we're yes. about wellness not just aesthetics not mm-hmm. just eye care it's the whole whole body and treating the person as a person Rashna it's been uh, a pleasure talking to you today oh, it's, it's a pleasure for me as well thank you so much well thank you and it's wonderful having you here amongst us at Lanzhoff at the Arts Club um should any of today's talk be of interest and you have any inquiry to make, please email lanzerhoff at theartsclub.co.uk. Rashna, again, thank you very much and see you soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.